Welcome to the Williamstown Church of Christ podcast. This is a sermon recording from one of our Sunday worship gatherings. We meet every Sunday at 10am on the corner of John Street and Douglas Parade, and we'd love to meet you. For more information, head to our website, willychurch.org.au. Enjoy and God bless you. They went across the lake to the region of Tyrannus. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want from with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on a nearby hill. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go to them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by a legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed began to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how many how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. What a story. Not your, um, not your cuddly bedtime Jesus story, that one, is it? What about that demon-possessed bacon? So Melbourne. So Melbourne. Watch out, Brunswick. I had my morning coffee in Brunswick this morning, so I'm allowed to say that. So what we're going to do with this story is I want to, I want to watch Jesus closely together and I want to read Mark clearly. So what I mean by that is I think one of the best spiritual practices we can do as apprentices of Jesus is, is read the Gospels and watch Jesus closely in them. Do a, a character um, sort of portrait. I don't know if you've been to a, a sports game before, but when you're at a live sports game, the, the whole field you can sort of see, but you can zoom in and watch one player and watch what they're doing and how they respond to the, the game and what happens around them. Or I've heard for some parents 
at morning tea. This is their experience. They're aware of morning tea happening around them, but their gaze is fixed on one child, making sure that the basketball doesn't come and collide with their head and the weekend is a write-off. Or maybe you're at a social event, maybe you're single and you're at a social event and the social event happens around you, but your focus is on one person at that social event. Am I right? Anyone had a Valentine's Day crush this week? <laughs> so what we're going to do is, is fix our, our focus, our gaze on Jesus. Because that's a fantastic way of, of reading the Gospels. Watching who he is, watching what he does. He's the incarnate God, God in the flesh the embodiment and enfleshment of of Yahweh. And so why wouldn't we want to watch Jesus closely? And then we're going to zoom out and go, what's happening in this story as a whole? And what's Mark doing by putting this story here? So that's what we're going to do. Watching Jesus closely is what we're going to do first. So we're going to read the story together and I'll pause and, and watch Jesus closely. So they went across the lake, that's the disciples and Jesus, to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. I'm going to pause there and we're going to Watch Jesus closely here. We have a man who lives in the tombs. No one can contain him, not even chains. And he spends all his time crying out and cutting himself with stones. He runs up to Jesus and falls on his knees. We already know this is the appropriate response to King Jesus, don't we? To come to him and fall on your knees. And even the demons and demon-possessed are aware that this is the appropriate response. When we watch Jesus, though, in this, when we watch Jesus, notice that he isn't afraid. If this kind of character came running, running up to me after I've just got off a boat, like, I'm seasick as it is, like, I just want some time. But this, this character is confronting, I would be very scared. But Jesus is not afraid. Jesus sees him for who he is. And that is a troubled man. But a man who's causing more harm to himself than anyone around him. A man who is no less human, the image of God. And in fact, by cutting himself with stones, he is defacing the image of God. But Jesus says to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Jesus isn't actually saying that to him, but to the impure spirit inside him. Because Jesus sees the man for who he is and the evil for what that is. He doesn't conflate the evil that is possessing this man and the man, but instead sees the man not as intrinsically evil, but possessed by evil. He's actually a victim of evil. 
And so when we watch Jesus closely, we see compassion. This compassion of Jesus here is incredible. Even someone who is totally out of his mind, a human wreck, Jesus does not see this person as a problem, but a person. He doesn't see him as evil, but a victim of evil. And he doesn't say, go away, you crazy man, I've just got off a boat. He says, come out of this man, you impure spirit. So this is the first thing I see when we watch Jesus closely, when we see how, how the God-man, God in the flesh, operates. That's the first thing we see, compassion. And when we see him, we should be compelled to, to live like him. And so we are compelled to see people no matter what their behaviour or their lifestyle or what's possessing them, no matter how they might seem, we are to see people as people, as people made in the image of God. And so I pray, church, may we see evil and darkness and sin not as intrinsic to people, but as merely having a hold on people. And we know, we see in a little bit, that Jesus is, is powerful over all evil. Another thing we see in this bit, and we, Megan touched on it last week, or brought this idea forward, is that Jesus is a non-anxious presence, in that he is not flustered or scared by legitimately flustering and scary conditions. This man isn't just, you know, a random stranger. He's been crying out in the tombs and cutting himself and is not able to be chained. He breaks the chains off. But Jesus is not flustered or scared. He loves this man. He sees the man as a man with compassion and he removes the evil from within him because that's what Jesus does, right? And that's what he's done with all of us. He's, Jesus, if you, you know the rest of the story, he actually steps into this man's shoes in a lot of ways. This man was, was naked, was shamed, was isolated, was living in amongst death. And Jesus steps into our shoes and to his shoes. He steps into nakedness, shame, isolation and death and deals with the power of evil on the cross. So our response to Jesus then is surely rejoicing, is celebration. We rejoice in the freedom from evil that Jesus has given us. And we seek to follow him and be like him in his compassion, in his kindness, and in his non-anxious presence. Let's, let's read on. Verse 9. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? He's speaking to the, the demons. And the demons we find out how many. My, le- my name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. It's hard to narrate demons. You don't know what voice to go with. So <laughs> it's, went, it's sort of normal. But if you in your minds I have, you know, a picture of... They're sort of timbre, um, then let, let me know. Send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. And so when we watch Jesus closely here, we notice, of course, his authority over the demons. 
This man isn't possessed by just one demon, but by many. And they beg Jesus again and again not to be sent away. Such is Jesus' power over them, that they beg him again and again. We know that, that Jesus, we're beginning to work out, and the disciples too are beginning to work out that Jesus is God. And so he has divine power, which means power over evil. His power over evil is so great that they, demons beg and grovel before him. And notice his, his power means that he has authority to give permission to the demons as to where they go. And with that power, he solves the problem of evil that has haunted this man. He solves the problem. And, and so the demons uh, end up in the pigs. And the pigs are actually unclean animals for Jewish people. So in our um, sort of 2018 scene, we might um, be a bit concerned and want to call the RSPCA on Jesus here because it uh, sounds like divine animal cruelty or something like that. But in the original context of Mark, this isn't divine animal cruelty, but good news to a Jewish audience. For pigs are unclean. For pigs represent sin and uncleanness. And so the demons and the pigs are dealt with and drowned. And if you know the Exodus story, a lot of Mark, a lot of Mark's gospel And a lot of Jesus' story has echoes of of the Exodus story, the story that defined God's first people, Israel. And in the Exodus story, God parts the Red Sea for his people, and then the Egyptians chase after him, then, and God unparts the Red Sea, and the Egyptians are defeated and drowned. The amazing thing about this story is this looks similar to that, but demons are drowned. Because when Jesus sort of rewrites the story of God and his people, the enemies are not nations. Egyptians, there are no Egyptians drowned in this story because Jesus invites the nations in and instead deals with the power of evil itself by drowning demons, not nations. Jesus is amazing. What a guy. Let's keep going. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to see Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Fancy that this is when they got afraid, when this man, who had a really interesting past, is dressed in his right mind. That is what makes them afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And then the people begin to plead with Jesus to leave their region. And so Jesus does. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. All the people were amazed. So in this bit, we see this thing that's becoming very common, that people fail to realise what good news Jesus is bringing. Jesus heals this man and yet people are freaked out by that. They fail to realise what good news this is and they ask Jesus to leave their region. And he does. 
which is, is fascinating because Jesus has all power and authority. And his posture is still invitational. If they don't want him, they'll move on. He has all authority. He can drive out demons and give them permission. He, has, he speaks permission over them. And yet he's equally meek and humble, willing to be moved on if people want him moved on. It's amazing. Jesus is willing to be um, sent out, just as he had power to send out all evil. And then the next bit is, is that Jesus gets into the boat to, to leave, and the man who was healed wants to go with him. And, and that's fair enough, I think. If we were in that position, we would want to do the same. And we're, we're five chapters into Mark now, so we know that Jesus has this sort of call. His, um, his number one track is follow me. Follow me, everything is alright. Anyone know that one? Remember Uncle Cracker? <laughs> what a cracker. That's Jesus' number one track, follow me. And yet Jesus does not say follow me. In this case, Jesus says he can't go with him. And instead he instructs him to follow him in a different kind of way. Jesus kept calling people, follow me, walk with me. But, but this is like a new kind of disciple that we find here. Jesus instead instructs someone who's been touched and transformed by Jesus to take the good news of what he has done into new places. And so Jesus says, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And the man does this and revival breaks out. Everyone was amazed. This is really similar if you know John 4, the story of the Samaritan woman. Jesus tells her a very similar thing. And we get these sort of evangelists popping out you know, early on in the gospel story, sharing the good news of what Jesus has done. And so that's watching Jesus closely. And when we watch Jesus closely, we notice that he's compassionate. He sees people as people. He sees evil as evil. He doesn't conflate the two. We see that he's a non-anxious presence and that he's powerful and has all authority over evil and the demonic. And so he heals, he sets free, he defeats evil. And yet he is gentle, he is humble. He's invitational, not forceful. He's happy to move on. And we see that he sends those he sets free to share the good news of what he has done. Sounds a lot like the story of Jesus. The compassionate Jesus who confronts evil, sin and death and defeats it. Who sets us free and then sends us to tell of what he's done. I encourage you, read the Gospels and watch Jesus closely. He's an incredible compelling man. And he has a lot to teach us about what it means to be human, for he's God in the flesh, and we can watch how he operates. We can zoom in. And he's our model, our example. If we're apprentices of him, he's our master. And so we follow him. And he's amazing. So that's that bit, and now I want to zoom out and ask what Mark's doing with this whole sort of 20 verses. Mark, um, in chapter 4 and 5, recorded four parables and then we're into the second of four mighty deeds of Jesus that, that Mark records. And the four parables spoke of the mystery of the kingdom and then the four mighty deeds display the power and authority of the king. 
So the four parables all speak of what the kingdom of God looks like. And we, we found that it's um, exciting and a mystery. And who knows what's going to happen. And now we have four mighty deeds which demonstrate the power of the king. And so our first mighty deed we saw last week was that he stills the storm. And so therefore, Jesus is powerful over the seas, the storms, the chaos, nature and creation. Today we see that he's powerful over the demonic, the kingdom of darkness, evil and demons. The next two stories, we see that that Jesus is powerful over death and sickness as he raises a dead girl and heals a sick woman. And notice these aren't, you you know, your top-class people Jesus demonstrates this with. This is a man who's been chilling in the tombs. And the next two are two women, which aren't exactly at the top of the the social system in Jesus' day. So we see Jesus' power. We see the source of Jesus' power. It must be God. He must be God if he is powerful over the seas, the demons, sickness and death. He must be Yahweh. And so the big idea why these 20 verses are here, why Mark wants to put these here, is to tell us that Jesus is mighty to save and powerful to defeat evil, demons and the devil. Jesus is powerful over all evil. And this message is more pertinent to us today than we might initially imagine. That Jesus is powerful over the the demonic. He's defeated evil. He took on nakedness isolation, death and shame, all that this man experienced. And when he took all of that onto and into himself, Colossians 2 says, he disarmed the powers and authorities, making a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. He disarmed the powers and authorities. So Jesus defeated evil. And yet we read on in the New Testament that he's defeated evil and yet evil has not totally been destroyed. As Ephesians 6 also uses this language of of powers and authorities. Ephesians 6 says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We'll get to that in a bit the rest of Ephesians 6 and it's great so there's this spiritual battle we're in and and in the evangelical church there have often been two responses to this idea of spiritual warfare or or the demonic on one hand there's been a lot of supernatural skepticism and and we've just dealt in categories of sin or maybe the flesh we we ignore this Ephesians 6 12 we ignore the battle we're in And we do what what C.S. Lewis in the screw tape letters said the demons want, which is to to relegate the demonic to a cartoon character. Someone dressed in red with horns and a pitchfork. Maybe someone, you know, a bit seductive and bedazzled with George of the Jungle. What's his name? Brendan Fraser. We relegate the demonic to comical to cartoons. Or at the other end of the spectrum uh, in evangelicalism, there's, there's, sens- there's supernatural scepticism and then there's supernatural sensationalism where everything is spiritual warfare 
And we're fighting with demons all the time. And I think this, this side often gives too much credit to the powers of darkness, which have been defeated. Ephesians 6.12 and the whole scriptures admit and recognise that Jesus has defeated evil and yet evil has not totally been destroyed until Jesus comes again. So what I want to say most of all today is that Jesus is powerful over darkness and has defeated evil because he is God. And so no one needs to be scared of the devil. And no one needs to give him all the credit for everything that's happening in this dark age. And no one needs to be fearful because Jesus is Lord of all. And he gives permission to demons as to where they go. But let's also not be ignorant and relegate real evil just to the TV screen. Because evil does exist in our world. And the way from below is cunningly deceptive and alluring. And maybe the devil has more to do with our worship of self, or our worship of money, or our worship of power, or our worship of sex, our greed, our selfishness, the way we abuse and oppress others so that we might rise to the top. All that is wrong and twisted with our world might have more to do with the one who is the liar, the deceiver, the accuser, the tempter, than we might initially acknowledge. If, if the devil is a liar, then all that is not true is what he wants us to believe. If the devil is deceiver, then he wants to twist us away from what is right. If he's accuser, he wants us to be discouraged when, when God and wants to bring life and encouragement and comfort. And so I want to say today, take heart, be wary, but take heart and don't be afraid. Because Jesus has disarmed the powers and authorities, making a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And yet we know that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And that's Ephesians 6.12. And then the rest of Ephesians 6 is fantastic. We're going back to Sunday school here. Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then. Stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. That really opens up what prayer looks like. All occasions, all kinds of prayers, all kinds of requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray for one another. Jesus is powerful over all evil, church. He has given us himself so that we might be fully equipped to be powerful over all evil too. 
because we are clothed with him, we are fully fitted with the armour of God. So you can stand firm with Jesus who has defeated all evil and one day is going to wipe out all evil. Let's pray. Jesus, open up our prayer lives and open up our faith lives that we might be able to pray through your spirit and in your spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers, with all kinds of requests, to always be praying for one another, to always be clothed in you, Like Liz said, may our awareness of you be expanded from a thumbnail size to a size of this room. May we know you, the one who has, has conquered evil, has conquered the flesh, has conquered all that is wrong with this world and is putting it to rights through your kingdom. Would you be with us? Amen.